Hey guys, this is MC from MCMA Podcast. We have another episode today, and uh, we also have a special guest with us today. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. My name's Patrick. I am an actor, theater performer based out of Salt Lake City. So tell me a little about yourself, what you do, and how we came to meet. Yeah, so uh, for my day job, I go to different conventions like comic cons and sell t-shirts and luckily i ran into willy wonka we started talking and he invited me onto the show and yes for anyone that doesn't know i dressed up as willy wonka today uh it was either between steampunk and willy wonka so the mannequin was really with willy wonka won and it works out that willy wonka has a new movie coming out and everyone's recognizing the third movie and some people loving the character but further ado, today's topic is going to be Father the 13th, Theatrics in Fear. So we are going to, we're hosting this podcast on Father the 13th. This is the recorded date. Now, I won't be uploading the Father the 13th and won't be live. However, this is our Father the 13th special, and we're going to use Patrick's experience in theater and express feel on the theater stage mm-hmm. to represent Father the 13th for today's night theme. First, we need to go to Father the 13th. So, Father the 13th is synonymous with the Bible and its origins. It refers to the Last Supper, and it was the night that Judas betrayed Jesus, mm-hmm. and it was the day after, I believe, was the crucifixion. So, why the book that so random? Well, it has, it has interesting origins in that period. It's based on the story of the Last Supper. Thirteen people were seated at the table and it happened on a Thursday. He was arrested that evening, crucified the next day on a Friday. So, it's symbolic of the thirteen disciples at the table which combines the two taboos from the Bible, according to Stevens. But also, with that being said, the superstition of it being 13 is a bad number. Mm-hmm. So, 13 people present, two atrocities committed, one the day after that Friday to represent that date. And they just happen to have Friday the 13th happen sometimes, not all the time, but at least once a year. I think this year was either twice or I can't remember. It does happen twice on some years. So the feel of 13 is like you walking under a ladder, crossing paths with a black cat, or breaking the mirror. It's superstitious. Friday the 13th brings back bad luck. It's uncertain exactly when this particular tradition began. Negative traditions have served around the number of 13 for centuries. Western cultures have hysterically searched the number with 12, completing... 12 days of Christmas, 12 days of months, and the 12 zodiacs, 12 gods, etc., etc. So with that being said, why is it unlucky? Well, 13 guests attended, and his 12 disciples, one who betrayed him, the next day was that the day of the crucifixion. So with that being said, it's unlucky because it, it dropped from 13 to 12, and one of them was a betrayer, which was Judas. That's why the unlucky comes in. 
negative or weaker. Some have suggested they also roots in such as Jesus was crucified, was also said to be the day of Eve, gave Adam the faithful apple from the tree of knowledge, as well as day of Cain, killed his brother Abel. So there's a lot of theories, not just the 13th Supper, but also other biblical origins. With that being said, the group that dined regularly on the 13th day of the month and in room 13 is also a popular uh, saying as well, the 13th club. But there's a little bit about Father the 13th mm -hmm. and just a little bit in pop culture. It wasn't until 13th and Legend in 1907 with the publication of the novel Friday the 13th, written by Thomas William Lawson. This is the book that took place in New York, Stockwell, who plays superstitions about the date to create chaos on Wall Street, making a killing on the market. And then we also have another adaptation later in the, in the movie Horror by the 13th, in a similar fashion, capitalizing on why the 13th as a model in pop culture. So that's a little bit about by the 13th. Now let's get into the theatrics of fear and all that stuff. So all talking points are going to be, we already did the origins, we're going to do creepiness and the unknown. So the creepy factor is really interesting in escalating fear because it creates tension and unexpected events. So it really hypes up the escalation of the situation in like on stage of a theater. Mm -hmm. I think uh, really an, an interesting element of comparing Creepiness and fear is, uh, fear is a direct understand. If you understand you are afraid of something, yes. it, uh, it, it loses its creepiness. Uh, but creepiness really does express itself through uh, the littler details, the things that you don't quite understand. Uh, the reason that the Uncanny Valley yes. is such a big uh, proponent of what fear is. Uh, that, that point in between what we understand and what we don't. And that's where creepiness like causes that tingling across the spine and really causes a, a level of concern. And I think that concern is what drives creepiness outside of just being fearful. Mm -hmm. And you're fearful, you might be afraid to break your leg, but like if something looks like it might be able to break your leg, but shouldn't, yep. then that's what makes it creepy. Yeah. Creepy also escalates what we see as fear. Mm -hmm. So if you're afraid of it, that's one thing. But if you're in fear of it, you are absolutely, you shut down or part of you doesn't function as normal. Mm -hmm. So that fear kicking in can actually stop certain movements of the body and your reaction to it. Absolutely. Now, another one that actually goes hand in hand with creepy is fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. What we don't know is also what we fear because we have no understanding of it. Because the lack of that understanding is really essential in why the unknown is so fearful in yeah. our lives. I think, I think you really reached that point, which is uh, in order to understand the fear of unknown, you have to understand not knowing, which a lot of people are willing to take the time to realize just what you don't know. And it's impossible in a way. You have to understand, like, if you, were a, if you were a speck in a box, if you were afraid of the line that you were touching, you know that line. 
But yeah. to under to learn that you're in a box at all causes you to have a new fear of the box instead of the unknown. So um, being afraid of the box is a new level. We we come to our points of fear by our understandings, but then the fear of the unknown is learning that there is way more yes. beyond the box. So let's say, for example, kidnapping. You're in a trunk. You're in complete darkness. The fear escalates because you don't know what is going you, on. You know, I knew what could You have no control. When you lose control, that's where fear can set in. Mm -hmm. That's really the powerful tool of fear kicking in any way to just make your mind go elsewhere. True. Yeah. And uh, it's something we love. We love fear uh, in a way. It's something yes. that the human nature comes to. We're actually at a uh, horror convention. It's, mm -hmm. it's all about, you know, the theatrics of horror. It's all yes. about the way that we depict it. You know, everything that you've ever read or you've ever seen that is scary had to be written by a human mind. That human sat down and said, you know what? I understand fear and other people's fear so well that I'm going to depict it, not yep. just for myself, but for humanity. Yep. And it's probably interesting because humanity has IP that they can write on, just go back in the mind, mm -hmm. think of a real life scenario, and then somehow dissect that one life scenario into a title book, into an entire screenwriting movie, whatever you want to call it. And that is why it's so powerful because they can take, it doesn't even have to be a real life event. It can be yeah. totally made up in the mind of the person who did it and still makes sense. It's, it's always better to guess that if they say based on a true story at the beginning. That's when you need to movie. watch out. <laughs> and, well, they're, they're talking about like someone did knock on a door once. Yes. They didn't murder everybody in the house, but they did knock on that door. So what, about they, to show what you know? do they do after they knock on the yeah. door? It's kind of what if scenario a lot of times exactly. on this thing. So that kind of brings into what type of fear you're facing. Yeah. So the number three, the levels of the fear you're facing. Yes. Is uh, it a phobia? Is it something fear of the darkness? Is it going to be in kind spaces, you know, that's, you know, enclosed? What type of level of fear you're experiencing? So um, this is actually a really interesting uh, discussion is, is scaling. Um, scales are what determine a lot of information. Kind of getting back to the fear of the unknown and not having a knowledge of that. Uh, a scale of fear is a very critical thing for somebody who's acting or who's performing to be aware of. You have to understand that, like, because if I say, oh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how scary was it? You know, 10's got to be massive, right? It's got to be, yeah. like, the top of the top. It's got to be the worst. But if I say on a scale of one to a hundred, how scary was it? And you say a 10, that's a one in a yep. scale of one to 10. So that, that power really does apply. And um, in acting, we will try and look at, uh, there's some techniques that look at the, uh, the level of an mm -hmm. emotion that you're feeling. So- It's the escalation of it too. Exactly. Uh, the more you talk to actors about like what level mm -hmm. of fear or what level of an emotion they're experiencing while they express themselves, like how are, how are you expressing yourself? What level? Uh, that really breaks down to uh, showing what they believe uh, middle ground is. Because yep. if you tell somebody to feel like a, an emotion at a level three, right? That's below average. An average yes. should be at like a level five. So yep. if I said like, 
a normally scary thing, like the uh, being afraid of the dark, right? Uh, being afraid of the dark, I think, should be the genuine neutral of being afraid. Yes. Uh, because th there's anything. And then yeah. in a purely dark <laughs> situation, there's anything. You turn down a dark road, you have no idea what's at the end of it. Exactly. You don't know what's at the end of that dark road, but you also have to know... You're what is an event that's going to be a level six? A level yeah. six cannot be the fear of the dark, but more like something like there's a fire. Mm -hmm. The fires are blazing. Uh -huh. That is a level six because you have no idea what's going well, on. Well, yeah, the fire's it's not like on. it's, you know, it's not on you. Yeah. But you're not at level eight where the fire is, ex there's explosion. Exploding right in your face. <laughs> you know, and you're fine, maybe. Maybe you're fine at a level eight. But you maybe people around you. Well, maybe six feet away from you. There was someone that got blasted by shrapnel. Yeah. How well do you know that person? Do you know them? Is that like a person? Is your reaction going to be something if it's a loved one it's impactful, that's where it bumps up to a yes. nine you yes. know because if, if if somebody you loved like blew up right in front of you then you'd be like losing it and a 10 would be like not only that but where uh, a total life change yes. an entire paradigm shift it's not only it's it's your home that blew up you know it's something that you lose completely you're just point, you're so distraught that nothing it's not even the same it's like distraught is a level of fear mm -hmm. that combined grief yeah. stress and fear all at the same awesome. time but when you in that moment you literally you will lose your confusion you have no composure uh that shock of death or that that traumatic event is like you it will take a long time to process yeah. in that first 30 minutes after it happened mm -hmm. and then even after it happened those different stages of how to deal with it after the fact weeks later. Yep. So that can get into the back. PTSD, mm -hmm. heightened emotions, and like more crazy stuff like that. And those come down the way, right? Like you, yes. we can say something like a seven is going to change your life, right? But a level yes. 10, your life is undoubtedly changed. Like that one event has influenced so much thereafter it's that you don't even realize nothing. what is your influence. Nothing like It could do your trust. It can do maybe not going to certain neighborhoods, mm -hmm. maybe isolating you from certain groups of people, mm -hmm. events. Maybe you're totally closed off, or maybe you're so fearful of being alone, you just go desperate out into the crowd and just be with everybody. Force yourself to be there when yeah. it's not helpful for you to be there. Mm. So there's different reactions in that how it comes about. How can you solve that fear? Yeah, because and, you're you're looking for you're looking for what some people might call a vice yes. or a scapegoat or a uh, a mean, uh, escape of a means. Yes. yes, and escape. so there's different ways to do that, but there is no correct way to do it because of the fact of everyone's fear reactions individual just like ptsd mm -hmm. if a soldier came home and their extreme uh, reactions of fear is heightened by the environment in which they had the tour in let's say they had loud noises of gunfire arrest well that can translate to real life into loud noises similar situations mm -hmm. even something as being at the grocery store out randomly can trigger yeah. a PTS moment. You could you would never be able to control 
your PTSD. Well, I can't say never, but like usually there's, it's treatable, treatable, but you have to have help to do it. It takes a it. lot of interpretation. But a lot of people don't want to admit they have it. Yes, that's a big problem. There's a big trouble with uh, people failing to address just what level of fear they've experienced, yes. whether or not they're still scared, uh, and how to actually heal from it. I, I would say at some point we're probably going to have to talk about healing, but let's we'll stay yes. in the spooky. Yes. And, you know, you also have, that's just one level of it. There's also the common phobia type fear. Mm-hmm. That the fear of specific things. Mm-hmm. Clowns. Yeah. Radioactive phobia. Yeah. Uh, water, fish. Things are specifically in a phobia state to be afraid of. Absolutely. Those are more uh, individual experiences that they break down. Sometimes that phobia... They can't function if that thing's around them in that environment. If it happens, it can literally be complete shutdown yeah. as a result. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's still true, but there was a lot of studies on like what the fear of clowns really represented. Yes. Uh, and um, a lot of people attune it to the idea that like clowns are usually seen uh, in a very propped up state as like corpses. When, when yes. people pass away, they have to be, you know, to lack a better term, uh, Clowned up. Yeah, dolled up, clowned yeah. up. Uh, and so they end up being uh, turned into these, these you know, stiff clowns in a way. And so when people wear a bright white face paint and overly large eyes and, you know, sunken and exaggerated features, suddenly that reminds us of death. Yeah, coats more than makeup, you know, the, to make the viewing look really well done can also strike as a potential trigger just in that way i uh i have a weird one that's personal experience i um i was in a show called the love of three oranges which is a classic italian uh comedy which is a clown show uh, or it has clown show elements and when i was playing a clown during this show uh we had to they do a thing called blocking your eyebrows where you take a glue stick and you rub it all over your eyebrows until they're completely flat. And so as soon as your eyebrows are completely flat and blocked, they then go over with a neutral tone, either that bright white we were talking about, mm-hmm. which is so traditional, or like the skin tone, uh, and then blot out your eyebrows. So you have no more eyebrows and you can draw on an expression. And that's how clowns do it. But in this case, I was that clown. And me without eyebrows is a sinister sight. Yes. <laughs> There is not a way you can draw those eyebrows back on. Yes. It's not doom and gloom. I have, I've got that protruding, shadowy yes. and my, my eyebrow line. My mm. eyes are just shaded. Yep. So as soon as you lose that positive expression location, uh, my, my cheery disposition turns mm-hmm. into absolute gloom, no matter how happy you're trying. Yeah. And you really don't really think how much your eyebrows make you expressive. Mm-hmm. Just doing like this. This yeah, or having down. up and down, winking yeah. at someone, winking, wiggling, uh, wiggling your forehead going up with the eyebrow expression, yeah. all of that is human expression itself. Oddly enough, that touches back on that uncanniness. You know, yes. we talk about what robots and humans look like. The difference mm-hmm. is we don't have those cues that we are literally evolved to notice. Yes. We have grown with humanity in a way that we expect and need that subtlety. Yep. And if you don't have it, you don't know. You don't know. It's the fear of the unknown. You're just afraid. Yeah. And also with robots, 
There's a reason why they can't necessarily feel human emotions. Mm -hmm. They don't have the capability to understand the complexity of what a human emotion can be. Yeah. And that's a powerful tool when using feel as a tactic to tell the story or even have shock factor. Mm -hmm. Shock factor is the ability to have something that is chilling and can, can terrify you at the same time. Yeah, you, it, to get shock factor to play out correctly, you really have to uh, lead in with some information, mm -hmm. have them understand that there's they a killer have a build -ups. on them. You know, have them understand that there's a knife in the room. There's, a, there's actually a term um, called Chekhov's gun. Yep. And the, uh, the, the sentiment means that if you have a gun on stage, the gun must be fired. Now, whether or not you actually believe in that or write to it or follow it at all, uh, it doesn't stop the fact that the reason Chekhov's gun matters is because there is a pure level of shock. That gun can do so much more yes. to a story, back to that level 10 fear, yep. permanent life change, permanent end of somebody's life, actually, yes. or something's life. And the gun firing is symbolizing of something is going to happen. And it's a perfect We don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's obstructed. You don't even see it. Yeah. So that also can create more emotions into that event, in the climax of that event. Correct. And this is where we get into like uh, an eerie setting or a suspense factor. Mm -hmm. Because shock value can be suspense. Yes. And in suspenseful moments, you can have a buildup. You can have it suddenly happen and not have that buildup. Yes. But then you can have a de-escalation after that buildup mm -hmm. and then... Maybe the fee level will go down after it all happened. So let's say, for example, the first scene, those foreshadowing an event that happened 12 hours right in current time. Yeah. But then they foreshadow back 12 hours before. Yeah. That event, you say, what is going on? How is it going to get here? Then they had to do it. They, ex they explained the story, how it got there. Yes. And also it could be, Foreseen, boom, you were on the Madden, the wedding, someone objects, and then there was an entire mafia coming in. Why is the mafia here? Yeah. And then you have all the uh, police show up, and then the mafia getting the shootout with the mafia, and the wedding is behind the church. And then we flash back, and it turns out it's just the way that the, the not the priest, but the, the husband was dealing, and maybe he yeah. gambled away his life savings for no reason. And, and maybe it's totally... Not even happening at all. So maybe not knowing oh, what's maybe. going to happen. Maybe it's the projection of yep. the husband to be afraid of the mafia. Yeah. He's like, man, it could happen, but it doesn't. Or like, what is the worst case scenario uh, for these people to experience? Yeah, um, there's actually, there was something else. Uh, oh, um, tension is really best. I love tension. It's best explained and interpre interpreted uh, very physically and obviously. The best tension plot I can think of is soap opera. So the the reason why the tension in a soap opera is so there, because every single episode is a buildup of every single other episode. Yeah. And American soap operas are pretty famous for having the story told five seasons and still referencing the previous season before. Yeah. So that build up tension is all the drama that's happening over time. So that's how they build up tension. To have viewers to go five days a week yeah. to keep viewing that show and the daily programming that goes with it. 
Yeah, I would say if you want to think about how to like structure tension, yes. you really could just take a little string. Imagine a string mm-hmm. and you take a rock. A rock has to be, or it's something heavy. Something has to trap that string. Yeah. Now the string is attached to something, but it doesn't have tension. But if you start pulling that string, you really start to get the fibers pulling and locked out. The more stress on it, it the can more stress. stress. Yes, exactly. Take a guitar. That string gets stressed. Suddenly it can play music. But if you keep turning that tuning fork and just keep going, it's going to snap. And the snap yeah. is going to depend on the tension. Yeah, if if it's too loose, then the 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 amount of force applied to the the string mm-hmm. has to be immense. And if it's too tight, it could just be the smallest smallest breath or touch yes. that causes that whole string to just snap out. And also, this is a good thing when you have a lake mm. throwing pebbles. Every rock you skip has a current, and a but ripple that, effect. That ripple effect keeps going further and further away. Same thing happens with waves. When the wave washes up on the shore, it, it hits the cross and it keeps coming and it hits the shore, but another one keeps away from it. Mm-hmm. So that the initial motion from the boat going by has already, already. maybe three miles felt. It was already in the plans. It and the same in the wave. The same thing happens with a tsunami. A, a violent a vibration of tension is released from an earthquake, volcanic, a landslide, whatever it is causing it. For the water to have that motion, and it carries over. Yeah. And it, sometimes it can carry hundreds of miles, and then hit the coast. And all of a sudden, this big wave turns into a gigantic wave because of the, ink, the decrease in elevation going up to the shoreline. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is a really good point to, uh, to recognize. Like, we can explain emotions by breaking down a rock in a string or the way a guitar works or the fact that a tsunami is bringing these massive, massive waves into the entire lived-in districts. But what does that look like in a person? How does a person carry that? And it's important to know that we all do to some degree. And it's usually in the same ways, oddly enough. Uh, And rarely is it not. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we show fear and how we act. We show... And our body language, we have a facial expression that goes with it. Facial expression. We can control our pitch depending on the level of terror yep. that is happening. If someone just died, some people might break down, but some people might scream as a reaction. Yeah. So understanding the nuances of how we're going to act is so more powerful sometimes because how do you express fear when there's no sound? Yeah. The way to do that is your facial expressions, your body, yeah. your nervousness, your you're, you're running away, you're clutching in the closet, mm-hmm. you're getting smaller, you're trying to, do, you know, let's say, you know, you're on an earthquake, cover your head, you get smaller to eliminate the danger mm-hmm. to minimate what could happen to you. There's a really interesting fact that uh, we, when we are watching things, we, we have expectation. Mm-hmm. We, as we are getting more information in a story, we have expectations. That's what makes an actor a good actor yeah. or a bad actor. And so really, the idea of expression begins on the witness, mm-hmm. uh, the person who is actually taking in the, the behavior that matches the, 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 the emotion. 
Uh, you could say this also is the reason why some people have to say, oh, I have callous humor. Uh, yes. Joking about my family dying helps me, me help. have an escape yes. to have that a coping mechanism to help me figure out why this traumatic event happened the way it did. And but I with still you. don't understand why it happened because it's just a human response to it. Exactly. Like, so, for, for example, oh. I... When there's a bad situation going on and you had misfortune, I'm going to laugh. That's, that's, it's just going to come out. out of the body. It's out and about. And also, in reaction to fear, is so powerful. Yeah. Because, you know, there is a way to react, but there's also another way to act in another way. Yeah. And, you know, that's the real, real thing is, uh, the, what I was going to bring up is that um, because there is that natural inclination for the witness to project yes. what they expect, mm -hmm. a neutral expression in acting will do so much work. If you see yes. somebody, if you, if you ever, ever want to try this out, just get a couple friends, you know, and uh -huh. then say, hey, I want you to guess what emotion I'm expressing. And then don't express any emotion and make every one of them say exactly what they think. And you will get a variety of answers. Because people's perception exactly. on a neutral feeling is how they think is how perceived. They think they're, they should perceive. There is no negative or positive in that. They just think what they're saying is that, what is showing. The witness has that level of anticipation mm -hmm. to have those emotions. So if you just got in a car crash and you step out of a car and your face is blank, people are going to think that makes yeah. them angry. They're going to be like, Oh, that's rage. Or they're going to be like, oh my God, they're thinking about their loss. That's you know? shock. That's shock. Exactly. Like just sitting here. But what do you, what comes to what? mind? If I say, if I say, do, show me shock, show me shock. What comes to mind? Blank face. Really? See, I would say a lot of people would say like an O face, you know, they'd be like, oh, you know, well, that's not what the shock I'm looking exactly. for. You said a call question is no, a blank right. face. You're so right. And that's the thing is when you think that these normal patterns work and you rely on them. There is no normal patterns. Exactly. There is no normal patterns. That's how you're going to react to the stimuli in that situation. Exactly. Stimuli causes the human being to have such an action based on maybe their lack of experience. Yeah. Or their experience could maybe train them better to react in another way instead of the usual way. Exactly. Um, and really, that brings me into what I would consider yes. my ultimate uh, comment, which is there's this thing in acting that we'd mm -hmm. like to talk about. I don't remember the exact first yes. uh, teachers on it, but it is called action and reaction. Mm -hmm. It is a sort of a flow. You have action and then you have reaction. reaction. So like the action of a carjacking, someone's reaction to that. Is go chase them down to yeah. get the car back. Exactly. Or maybe it's to call the police immediately after it happens. Yeah, we can break down sort of like what's going on in, in both people's lives in those situations, right? Yeah. The, the, the carjacker has a reason to have this car. It could be as low and boring as uh, I want to and I feel yes. like it. Or it can be as extreme as something My like, dad's in the hospital. I need a call. Are you car. in my way? Or I'm escaped the police and you're the only one in my way this to get it. the only way for me out. And you see, there's so much story there. 
What, yes. How many stories can you tell about a man escaping the police or a man whose father is in the hospital? And the best way to do that is multiple levels of action and reaction exactly. based on different people's experience in that same situation. Understanding where you want to go with a story and how you want to tell the story tells you what action to focus on, right? If we're talking about the, the recipient of the carjacking, then the carjacker needs to be the clear action. We don't really need a lot of his de detail. We yeah. just need his action to Wait. be honest, yep. which is, I am honestly carjacking you. And then the reaction of is, the carjacked is going to be, be the emotion. The emotion of the person having a jack. Exactly. Let's say you're going down the road in the car at the stoplight. You're running as fast as you can. You're well, guess what? You're going to see a lot of emotions. There. You're going to have running, but if you have someone beside you, they're going to react to you, to your action as a multi-action reaction exactly. effect. So as we're having a scene in, in any scenario, either on film or in uh, a theater, you are going to have uh, that action, the thing yes. that happens. Then your reaction needs to not just be, you know, a, a director is going to come up and say, all right, you are going to feel sad because yes. your car was stolen. But really, your reaction to a car being stolen is going to be multifaceted. Yeah. You know, there's some people out there who have such great insurances that the second their car is stolen, they're just going to call their insurance company. They're going to be bummed, but then they're going to buy a better car somehow. It's like, yeah, <laughs> they're going to be they're going to be fine. And they they know it. So they why would they freak out like somebody who's this is the last car? They didn't have time to register it. They don't yes. have what they can have or what they need. And they they know that losing this car is losing another five thousand dollars. To them yes. that's going to be a much more dramatic and true reaction and to the behavior let's say the person who stole the car mm -hmm. say gets scot-free steals the car yeah now they own then they just drive this car around for months and months but this car has a b uh, an apb put on it mm -hmm. let's say this car is not found months later they actually match it find the car Let's say a police just is parked randomly on the street. Yeah. They scan the car, they put the they put it in the system. Six months before there was an APB on it. It's a stolen vehicle. That's how they find that stolen vehicle. Now we got tension. Now you're gonna create the tension. Where they are now, if the car is here, where are they at right now? Has how, why do they dump it? Has this thief seen success? Because he got away with this, was he able to have a nine to five job that actually did that they better dive and we don't even know they died. Yeah, we don't even know where they are. There's there's a level of like what could happen to that player and yes. what what emotions are we going to experience? And this does happen. I mean, my ex's car was stolen and it was found in the back of a uh, hotel. There was no other lead. They just found a, a car that happened to have a crooked license plate. A crooked license plate was all it took for my ex to identification get a car. to have that car be found later for it to stand out and otherwise it would have absolutely been ignored so the attention to detail is key mm -hmm. in developing a story like this let's say instead of they stole the blue car mm -hmm. let's say a car yeah. they stole the blue ford fusion yeah. from the grandmother who was riding to the doctor's appointment there you you see how much of anticipation the doctor's appointment, the grandma can't get there, mm -hmm. the car is stolen. But no, it's a Pacific car. It's a blue fusion. Yeah. It's a Pacific blue car. We know now it's, it's identifiable. It's a, a grandma is at loss because 
Now, whatever cause and effect happens later, yeah, her reaction's going to be different. And now like, it could upset her entire day. You don't even know. These are important details for not only writers, but directors and actors to all yeah. have in mind or to have like at least some level of emotional connection to because when you heard what those expressed terms were, you had a reaction. You had an yes. emotional attachment. And those emotional attachments define what you see in that character yep. way more than what has I see twist. or what our our host sees. Let's say the carjacker <laughs> is a repeat offender at stealing cars. Mm. So let's say one time he stole a car and it went totally wrong. Yeah. He banged his head and now he's had amnesia. He can't track down where he was that particular night. Mm. Now... He has to go on a journey to find that repressed memories in that event when his body did that. You know, actually, and I think this isn't too spoilery, uh, there's a book, Seven and a, Seven and a Half Deaths of yeah. Evelyn Hardcastle. Uh, it's a fictional story, but in the beginning of this story, our protagonist wakes up and has no memory of who he is. And so as he's trying to figure himself out, it's like the carjacking scenario. Yes. If the last thing you did when you're trying to figure out who you were was commit a massive crime, then what, what, who are you going to yes. be the day that you realize that that's actually who you are? Same thing happened in the TV show I watched. You mm. on Netflix. Oh. It, it was so many events. He woke up with a body. Two different seasons. In the beginning of the season, he woke up with a body. In the first couple episodes, he's trying to figure out how it got there. Yeah. And it's creating the attention already in the episode. Mm. And he doesn't know how it got there because either... He was so drunk, he, he was put on uh, LSD. Yeah. Or they put him, he got on a substance that completely blocked him out. Completely. He only remembers this and this, but can't piece out together this. He went to this restaurant, but why did he go? He went here to have something, but he has to figure out why he went. Understanding your direction really pieces together what it means to be human. If we don't have our direction, then how can we understand who we are? When you lose your sense of direction, when you lose your sense of self, when you lose these things, welcome to that unknown, really. Yeah. Well, I really think I've had a blast talking to you here today. And uh, one last reaction is yeah. fight versus flight. Mm. Because it's a, it's a basic reaction to so feel, but it's such studied so much that... How are you going to respond in a given situation if, say, that car driver hit? Are you going to fight them mm -hmm. or are you going to flight and go back? You know, uh, crazy enough, there's actually a third in fight, flight. Yes. Fight and flight and then freeze. Yes. Uh, you don't freezing. do anything at all. Yeah, freezing is the, and some, for, for me, uh, experiencing freezing, either in myself or in people I love, uh, is definitely the most concerning, but fight and flight is the more, you know, directly well, writing interest. Well, freezing happens a lot of times when a thug is stealing a puss and no one does anything. Nobody does anything. They just watch it happen. I don't want to get shot. Them. I don't want to get stabbed. I don't exactly. They, they just, I don't want to intervene. Yeah. And so you, you get a lot of all different stories when you freeze. Yes. But I, I think in a lot of cases, I mean, just like the action and reaction, if we have a protagonist in front of a grandmother whose handbag is being stolen, we want to see them reach out at least. We don't need to shoot them immediately. And so uh, that means that we get to see our protagonist do something. Yeah, and, maybe uh, that protagonist is like, they just happen to 
Let's say they're drinking. They yeah. just come on out and boom, the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the person runs into them. Yeah. And then they react. Like, what are you doing? And they're on the ground. And then someone behind them that's already chasing cuts is up to them. Yeah. And they stop the entire act without doing much, just walking. Just because of the situation. And yeah, yeah, that is, that is your action. That's how unexpected circumstances can create this atmosphere of... And grow on the sense of the fight. Yeah. yeah. You can grow on the story, not only expand it, de-escalate it, expand, escalate some more. Maybe your story doesn't even need fear to begin with. Sometimes the lack of fear is compelling because there is no fear to tell the story. It's just a good story overall. Yeah, I think that there is definitely something there, um, you know, but it's interesting you say that because it's, it's hard. Imagine a story, you know, that doesn't tell any fear, you know, even as simple as like a boy lost his balloon is, is terrifying, you know, not exactly terrifying on like everybody's scale, yeah. but imagine being a five-year-old losing a balloon. Mm -hmm. You're going to be so sad. Uh, you're going to want to see that kid get his balloon back or you're going to. You know, you want to you want to know that we get the resolve resolve, and that's actually called catharsis. Uh, uh, I love catharsis. I haven't heard that in a while. Catharsis is really what lets you say, <sighs> and know that everything's all right. Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes you have to give it to yourself. Sometimes you have to write it in. Sometimes it's there. But sometimes, if you think you're so scared of something, and you want to quit. Stick it out because humans under most conditions will respect and understand that you need catharsis. Also, you have the adaptability factor. Mm -hmm. Every human has the ability to tough it out to a degree. Yeah. Survive it. Go through it. Even if the most extreme possibility happens, they have time to heal from it. But... Anything that's been fearful, just know time is the best medicine for it. Mm -hmm. Time and fear, time typically has an empathy effect. Yeah. It'll over time be less and less and less. Yeah. yeah. I think this is the exact point that we should jump into the healing. Healing is an important step in life. Uh, and in order to heal, you do need time. You need to be willing to express yourself. Don't be afraid to say, I've been afraid. Don't be afraid to say that I am currently afraid. And accept it because that's the first way to leave it. Yes. And uh, start talking to professionals. You know, uh, me and my podcast host, we're probably mm -hmm. not therapists. I'm not currently. Well, I'm seeking therapy myself. <laughs> but I have things to discuss. It's not really fear yeah, of discussing. Yeah. I'm discussing just general things that set me back. Yeah. And, you know... It's and having help yeah. is not necessarily a bad thing. Exactly. Doesn't matter how much level of help you get. So talking to someone, Talk to someone in Talk any capacity is good. Talk to a stranger at a bar if they don't look like they're going to if steal they're your. Playing some slugs. You yeah. swing some slugs with them. Yeah. Have a camaraderie in that moment. Just sometimes be vulnerable. Yeah. If you're vulnerable. There's many things can, you can get off your chest in a way that's not going to be damaging to you. And it might be damaging to someone else because they don't want to hear it at that time. But you so can't control a wind that said. Yeah. But sometimes just the, it just comes out. True. So 
If fear comes out of you, let it come out. Yeah. Think of a way to have a coping to lessen it or stop it. It doesn't have to be always to fight the team. Do oh. not think about fear. Fear is a daily activity. I just really think Friday the 13th is a good message in fear and suspense and thriller, psychological, yeah. all that together, horror. Maybe you'll find a place to like it. Yeah, uh, you appreciate it for what it was, not what, what it is was. now. Exactly. So oh, I appreciated this. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Uh, where can I can find you? And before we get off. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of just out there. I don't have a lot of social medias right now. So, uh, I mean, if you're ever in Salt Lake, feel free to drop by Market the Bistro. It's a little uh, beast, vegan bistro where I perform and do a lot of theater out of. And mm -hmm. yeah, my name's Patrick. And it's been wonderful to be here. Yep. Well, this is MC. And the last thing I want to say, the only thing you can feel is fear itself. True. So this concludes Father the 13th, Theatrics and Fear. Hope to be you. And thank you, Patrick, for being here. It was yeah. really fun. Thank you very much, MC. All right. Bye, guys.